The Bible presents two different ages, this present age and the age to come. So this present age is the age that is broken by sin. It's the age in which we live. It's the age that's passing away. The age to come is the age that is eternal perfection. It's what we typically refer to when we say heaven. And so the Bible instructs us to think in terms of two ages. And right now, the Bible indicates that we are in the final hour of this present age. And the age to come, the age of perfection, the age of eternity, is an age for which all of us have been made. But only those who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will experience as God intended it to be experienced. And we are currently in what the Bible terms the final hour, the last hour before the next age. One of the reasons the Bible communicates this is the last hour is because of Jesus Christ coming, dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, and displaying the truth of the gospel message so that anyone who trusts in him might be saved, forgiven of their sins, and make it from this present age into the age to come. So that's one of the reasons the Bible communicates we're in the last hour. The passage we're going to read this morning says we're in the last hour, and the reason this passage gives that we're in the last hour and we can know it is because of the presence of antichrists. Now what I think is that when I say the word antichrist, I may raise some question marks in your minds because you've read books or seen movies and you've heard of this big A, antichrist. And then when I say, when we read the passage and you hear that there are many antichrists and they're in the church, you're going to start looking down the pew and wondering who's the antichrist in this room and you're going to get distracted and you're going to miss the encouragement in this passage. And so I want to help us not miss the amazing encouragement in this passage by getting sidetracked or derailed by the word antichrist. The word antichrist is simply a word in the original language that's been moved into English. You pronounce the word in its original language, antichristos. So it's just a, a word that's been moved into English, and all it means is there are individuals who were once for Christ and are now against Christ, antichrist. And so when you read this term, just know John is saying, hey, this is the last hour. And one of the reasons we know it's the last hour is because there's a whole lot of people who were once in the church who are now against Christ and no longer in the church. And so that's what he's communicating. And we are intended through this picture that John paints of the church to receive incredible encouragement. You see, Christ wants every single person to know they will make it from this present age into the age to come. Everyone should want to know they're going to make it to eternal life. And that's what this passage is all about. So 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read it slowly. Hopefully it'll soak in and you can kind of sort out uh, what this passage is communicating to us. So 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Children, this is the last hour. 
And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Thus we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that we might see that they all are not of us. And you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I did not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And every lie is not from the truth. Every liar who is a liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father. You be sure that which you heard from the beginning abides in you. If that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which He Himself promised us, eternal life. So John describes the churches having people in the church who looked like they belonged in the church. They were claiming to follow Christ, claiming to believe in Christ. But then something went wrong and those in the church realized there was something wrong with these, uh, these individuals who were formerly in the church. And the reason that they knew something was wrong is because they left the church. They deserted. They, they defected from the faith. While they were in the church, they looked like they belonged in the church. No one had any real clear indication that they weren't a part of the church. The only reason they realized that they were deniers of Christ, living a lie, is because they left the church. And once they left, it became apparent that these were not really belonging to the church. So John describes these defectors. Have you ever experienced knowing someone who said they were a believer and then they left the church, they left the Lord, and you're wondering what happened? You ever had that happen to you? Far too many times in years past I have seen that story. I'm sure you have too. One of the ones that I really, really hate is a close friend of mine who for many years walked with the Lord and I got to walk with him. He was in our church family. 
I got to see him grow in Christ in phenomenal ways. I got to see him influence others to follow Christ. I got to be a part of his growth in Christ. There came a time in his life and his pursuit of the Lord that he decided, you know what? I feel like God's calling me to go and be a pastor. And I got to walk with him through that significant decision. I saw him go to seminary and go through seminary. I saw him graduate from seminary and he, he, he got his church and he became a lead pastor of a church. And I got to walk with he and his family through that transition and hear about what the Lord is doing in his life. And it seemed like this amazing experience and this amazing friendship and this amazing journey of seeing the Lord work. And then I found out he left the Lord, he left his family, and he left his church. And he's gone. He wouldn't return my phone calls. He wouldn't respond to any correspondence. He's gone from the faith. When something like that happens in your life, it is incredibly hurtful. There's some of you in this room that have had that experience. You've had somebody close to you who you saw walk with Christ, who you knew was following the Lord, and then they left. It can confuse you. You can begin to think, well, were they ever really saved? What does this mean? What does this mean about the Lord's promises? What does this mean about this person? What does it mean about me? I'm telling you, seeing that guy walk away from the faith has made me really wonder, how can I make sure I don't walk away from the faith? Because if he can, why do I think I can't? It just messes with you. If you've been in that position, you know what that feels like. In fact, I suspect there are some of you in this room that have been the defector. That there was a time in your life that you walked away. You weren't following Christ. You weren't in the church and others around you that had previously seen when you were for Christ were bewildered and hurt deeply by the time you decided to be against Christ. When my own family was in turmoil, when I was in ninth grade, there was about a six-month period of time that I was like, I'm not following the Lord right now. I'm not going to church. I'm just walking away. And I know I hurt people when I did that. You know, the worst experience related to defectors is when you're really close to them. Like you're tight. For me, that was my mom. She walked away from Christ. She walked away from our family. She walked away from the Lord. For 20 years, I watched her defect, and it radically impacted my life. I know there are some of you here in this church that you've seen your parents walk away. You've seen your children walk away. Some in this church have seen their grandchildren defect. And I just got to tell you, I cannot imagine the emotional weight of seeing your children or your grandchildren walk away from Christ. 
when those things happen, boy, they're confusing. And we, we want to know what to do with that. How do we handle this? What do we think about this? How do we move forward in regard to this? And I love that this passage gives us a perspective that we're supposed to have in these circumstances. In the perspective we're supposed to have towards those who defect from the faith is that they were lying. And they were never really a part of us. That's hard. You know, I wanted to believe that my mom was okay because of the time in her life she was for Christ. But the scripture is telling me that that cannot be my perspective. Now, here's what the scripture is not saying. The scripture is not saying that someone who places their faith in Christ and experiences the salvation work of the grace of God, when they go through a time of drifting away from Christ, maybe even turning away from him, that they lose their salvation or that they're not okay. The Bible is not calling into question the faithfulness of God to keep his promises to one who called on him and was genuinely saved. What we're talking about here is what should our perspective be of the one who was formerly for Christ but is now currently against Christ. And the scripture is telling us that our perspective of the one who is currently against Christ is they are a denier and they were not really a part of us. Now why would the scripture encourage us to have that perspective. If you have somebody who is for Christ and then they make a decision to leave Christ, leave the church and be against Christ, if my perspective towards that person is that person is okay because they were saved, because I have this slice of time to look at when they were for Christ. And because I have this time to look at when they were for Christ, now that they're against Christ, they're okay. My perspective towards them when they're against Christ is the worst possible perspective I could have towards them because I will actually act towards them in a way that is not congruent with how they're living in that moment. And what the scripture wants us to see is that when somebody makes a decision to live against Christ, we should not live towards them on the basis of a time when they were for Christ. We should live towards them on the basis of the time that they're living in right now, being against Christ, and take to them the gospel and the hope of the gospel and urge them to come back to Christ and not to believe for one second that they're okay because they might not be. See, here's the thing. None of us can know for certain whether somebody else is really okay. And if they're living in a period of their time in their lives when they're against Christ, the worst thing we could do is assume they're okay. The best thing we could do is to assume that they need the gospel and they need Jesus Christ to rescue them and we're in a position to uniquely pray for them and to not give hope that they'll grab a hold of the gospel again. So it's better for the defector that we have this perspective but it's also better for you and me. If I actually believe that someone who is now against Christ is okay, 
then it just might be that I will, in my own life, believe that when I am for Christ, I'm good. And when I am not as for Christ, and when I get to being against Christ, that I'm good as well. And so what happens is I begin to think I'm good, not on the basis of being for Christ, but on the basis of something called false assurance. So if I believe that I'm good on any other basis than what the Word of God prescribes, then I have false assurance that I'm good. And if my assurance that I'm good with the Lord, that I'll make it from this age to the age to come, is not built on the truth, then that is the worst kind of deception. And the reason that the Scripture wants to see the one that leaves Christ and is against Christ is not being okay is because we ought to feel the need to make sure we know we're going to make it from this age to the next. Everyone should want to know if they're going to make it to eternal life. And the way that you know is prescribed in the Scripture. In any other way of looking at how you know that you're going to make it is simply not reliable. So if I'm living my life against Christ... My life against Christ is not reliable for knowing I'm going to make it to the age to come. And God is so gracious that he has commanded us to see it this way precisely because he wants us to know that we will make it from this age to the age to come. He wants us to know. And if we'll align our lives with the truth in this text, we can know. We have a fact, we have a command, and we have an implication in this passage that can make all the difference. Here's the fact, verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Verse 21. I did not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know the truth. And every lie is not from the truth. We know the truth. John wants his readers to know that they know the truth. How do they know the truth? Well, the word which they heard from the beginning is how they know the truth. Somebody who saw Jesus... Somebody who knew the message of Jesus came to them and told them the message. They know the truth because someone shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the truth. Further than that, if you confess Jesus as the Christ, you have the Father. And the Father gives you an anointing through your confession that Jesus is the Christ. And the anointing that He gives you is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes the Word that He has given you, the words of Christ, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart and mind to the words of the Bible so that you understand who Christ is and what He said. So the Spirit of God reminds you of the truth of God. The Spirit of God is with you, which means the presence of God is always there in order to prompt you to remember what He has said. John chapter 16, verse 13. He's going to tell us the truth that He has for us. 
through the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses around 20 or so, is going to tell you that who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God, and the Spirit we have is the Spirit of God. We know the truth. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you are following Him, be sure that you know the truth. He wants you to know that you will make it from this age to the age to come. You know the truth. Now the command. There's the fact. Here's the command. Verse 24. You make sure that which you heard from beginning abides in you. There's the command. You're going to see it in your text probably saying something like, let that which you heard from the beginning remain in you or abide in you. That wording in the English, let it remain in you, is a command in the original text. It's this, you must make sure that that which you heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, abides in you, finds its abode in you. The picture that's created by this command is we better make sure that the truth Sets up, sets up its home in us. Now, our family has now a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law. And that's an interesting shift in terms of the seasons of life. And it's been a lot of fun to get into that different experience in life. And, you know, Lindley and I, we want our daughter-in-law and our son-in-law to feel really good about being at our house. We want them to be comfortable. Um, we want them to enjoy being at our house. And so we look for clues along the way that they're comfortable in our place. And it wasn't long after our son-in-law, Micah, in our family, gave some clear indication that he was feeling a level of comfort in our house. He walked into our kitchen, he opened the pantry and the refrigerator, and he helped himself to my food. <laughs> and uh, when I saw that happen, he's just chowing down in there, and you know, he's a big old boy, so he's going to eat a lot of my food. And when that, when that was happening, I sat there and thought to myself, that is beautiful. Just keep on eating, buddy. You want anything else? I'd love to make you feel like you're at home here, right? But as much as he may feel at home in my house, he knows there are some places he can't go. He can't go to certain closets and I mean, Lindley will make sure he can't go to certain places in our house. It just, he doesn't have complete, complete freedom. Now, he's got more freedom in the home he grew up in than he has in our home. I can go to a lot of places there and feel a lot more free to go there. But it's still not complete freedom because it's not really his house. But he and my daughter now have a place they call home. You know what? He has complete freedom to do whatever he wants in his house. What we're commanded to do is make sure the truth has complete freedom to set up its home in every nook, cranny, closet, and bedroom of our hearts. We, we, we can't treat the, the truth like, hey, you can come in the places it's easiest to come in. No, we, we've got to make sure that we set up the truth at home in every part of our lives. No thought, no action, no belief, no relationship, nothing that is hidden from the truth. 
We have to make sure that the truth is at home in our hearts. If, if we will make sure the truth finds its way into every part of our lives, and that's not easy. It takes a routine and a ritual, a discipline, a being in the Lord's Word, a being in the Scripture, setting a pattern in your life of making sure that the Word of God gets into your heart and making sure that you don't keep anything from the Word of God getting into your life so that every attitude, every perspective is subjected to the truth of God's Word. You cannot get the Word of God into every part of your life if you're not getting the Word of God into your life at all. You've got to dig into the Word of God regularly and create a pattern of, of getting into the Word of God. It's not easy, but if you'll do that, if you'll create those patterns and open your heart and your life to the Word of God and say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me, however you want to impact me with your truth, I don't want to hide anything from you. Everything is surrendered before you. I am the home for your truth. Invade my life. When that happens, something really special if I were to tell you this morning that when you leave right after the service, if, you're, if your route home involves going south on I-35, if I were to tell you that today, right when you leave, uh, I-35 going south is a three-hour delay if you get on the highway. First of all, you're going to think that's a little odd for Sunday, but I believe it. I'm not going to convince you. It's like, okay, I'm not going that way. You're going to adjust your route based on that knowledge. If I tell you that your favorite restaurant that you've been thinking about going to as soon as church is over, if you go there today and you eat your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant, you end up with food poisoning and the rest of your week is going to be awful. 100% guarantee is going to happen. You'd go to a different restaurant. You see, when the truth invades every arena of your life and you surrender your life to the truth, that truth changes your life so here's what the truth of God does when you let it into the closets and the nooks and the crannies the truth of God points out danger to you it points out a better way to you and the truth of God works with the grace of God and the anointing of a God in you and moves you to confess the dangers you've walked in and moves you to the place of believing under the favor of God you can leave that sin behind and walk in a better way. And the truth of God in you moves you down the path of walking with Christ in fellowship with Him so that you know that you will make it from this age to the next age. The truth of God brings something out in you that gives you confidence that you belong to him. It's right here in this passage, verse 24. Verse 24 says, if you, if you make sure that you do this, make sure it remains in you, here's what's going to happen. You will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you make sure that the truth finds its home in you, then you will find your home in Christ. And if you find your home in Christ, you will know that he always makes good on his promises. And you will make it from this age to the next. When Lindley and I first got married, we went to Disney, and I went to Epcot. And I don't know you've been to Epcot, but they had this big 360-degree video thing of China. And uh, Lindley and I went to that thing, and we sat in there, and we watched this big 360-degree movie about China. It was like you're right in the middle of the most amazing places. It just intrigued me. 
And so if I walked out of that Epcot and you say, have you ever um, seen China? I would say, yeah, I've seen China. But only on a 360-degree theater. But I've been to China multiple times now. I've stood on the ground and I've turned around and round and I've seen the country. I've eaten the food. I've met the people. I know that place. If you make sure the truth has a home in your heart, you will have a home in Jesus and you will shift from knowing about him to knowing him. And when that shift happens in your life, you know that you'll make it from this life to the next. Fact, command, implication. You know how you know that the deserters are the deserters? They leave the church. Here's the implication. Stay in the church. Stay in the church. The church is designed with all of its hang-ups to be the place that helps you walk with Christ. This is not a perfect place full of imperfect people. We're all under the grace of God, but here's the thing. God has designed every one of us to make it better together through encouraging each other, exhorting one another, rebuking one another, coming alongside one another, praying for one another. We are meant to make it into the next age together as a church. We're designed to do that. No one in this room is designed to know that you're going to make it outside of the relationship with the local church. Stay in the church. Make sure you do everything to make sure the truth stays in you and you stay in the church. That's the path to knowing you'll make it to the age to come. And as you walk that path, help others do the same. Parents, grandparents, help your kids and your grandkids Get the truth into every nook and cranny of their life. Don't assume they're going to figure it out. You work hard to make sure the truth invades their life. You do everything you can to demonstrate what it means to stay in the church. You know, you're going to, you have already lived through moms and dads, grandparents. You've already lived through conflict in the church. If you've been here any time at all, you've lived through it. Your kids are watching you. I want to tell you one of the great gifts about being a pastor is my kids get to see a lot of the bad stuff that happens in the church. You know why that's so good? It's because it forces me to teach my kids what the Bible says about the church and all its challenges and still love the church. Every pastor in this place wants our kids to love the church because we can't make it outside the community of the body of believers. Help your kids See you love the church. If you're older in the faith, invest your life in someone younger in the faith. Help them get the truth in their lives to set up its home in their hearts and help them stay in the church to get connected with others. Make sure that you're spending time with groups of people where you can be an encouragement and be encouraged because we can't and are not designed to make it alone. God wants you to know that you'll make it. He's given us a truth command and an implication and it can make all the difference what about the defectors 
What about those people that have walked away? You know, I just pray that we won't ever give up hope. That they might come back to Christ. That we'd not stop praying, that we'd not stop hoping, we'd not stop sharing Christ. And that we'd always be an on-ramp for them to come back to Christ by never leaving the faith ourselves. Right before my mom died, she came back to Christ. I'm so thankful. My friend, I don't know. But I know this. The Bible does not want me to see him as safe. The Bible wants me to go after him as if his soul depended on it. I want him to come back. I don't know if he ever will. But I don't want to give up. And I don't want to see him in the wrong way. Before my mom died, she told me, Kevin, you can tell my story whenever you think God can use it. You know why she wanted me to have the freedom to tell her terrible story? Her story is terrible. Because she hoped that somebody hearing her story of leaving the faith would decide that leaving the faith is never worth it and not go through the pain that she went through. She hoped that somebody who might be drifting away from the Lord towards departing from the faith might come to their senses and come back to Christ. She hoped that somebody who had defected might hear her story and realize, I can still come back to Christ and come back to Christ. Jesus wants all of us to know we will make it to the age to come. Because this is the promise which he has promised us eternal life.